BYU, just as a general rule, has been extremely not welcoming to the LGBTQ community. But about a year ago, made a change to their code of conduct and removed from the published code any reference to what Mormons call it, same-sex displays of affection on campus. That used to be explicitly forbidden. Holding hands, hugging, kissing. Don't get too excited. (laughs) For about two weeks, they're like, this is wonderful. And the church came out and said, no, uh uh-uh, still can't do that. So there were some peaceful demonstrations on campus. That was the first time that anybody went up to the Y and lit it up in rainbow colors. And that happened a couple times last year. And BYU was like, you can't do this as our property, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of last year, they instituted a new policy saying you had to ask permission to have any demonstrations or displays of anything contrary to church doctrine on property. BYU campus is private property, and so they can enforce that. But the why is land that BYU and the Mormon Church purchased from the federal government who owns the public lands around here. When they purchased it, they had to agree that they would allow public access to it. (laughs) So it was a legal gray area. A group of people who had set up the lighting of the Y last year decided they were going to do it again this year. And there was uh, some question about whether the participants would be arrested or fined. And because BYU didn't really have any say over people unless they were staff or students, all the people that participated were either alumni or parents of former BYU students, allies, but nobody that was currently affiliated with. BYU. (laughs) I had planned on going hiking up there, but then that weekend I got really sick and I could barely breathe. And that hike, it's only a mile, but oh, it's a thousand feet of elevation. Even for people that are in pretty good health, it's not exactly the easiest one. (laughs) So a group of about high 30s, low 40s went up there and they lit it up. The plan was that we're going to do half an hour in the color of the trans flag and they were going to do a half an hour in the pride rainbow colors. I met them at the staging area. Then I went up to the trailhead with them. And when we got up there, there were already a couple of cops there. Were these actual cops or were they university cops? I was a bit confused about that. They were university cops. But... They are university cops that are fully recognized as cops. How does that work? You know what? I don't know. But they're fully recognized as a legal enforcement system. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it just that they're also real cops? No, they're BYU employees. And they actually sent out a call for Provo police to come and help them. Did they? Nope. <laughs> the rumor is they didn't want to get mixed up in this. The group that put this on had lawyers and the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, or I don't know. <laughs> They had legal representatives standing by if there was anybody arrested. I see. They also had a team of documentary filmmakers there filming. So uh, everybody involved was well prepared to maybe take a ride in the back of a cop car, maybe get fined. We also had donors standing by to pay for the fines. Oh, that's nice. So they only were able to light it for about 40 minutes. It looked really pretty. Yeah, it was good. You said that you had a demonstration in the capital that you were attending on the day that me and Gigi recorded the first History Bonus episode. So tell us what happened with that. 
in the states, the conservatives have really been going after the trans community. There have been bills introduced in 30 plus of the 50 states specifically targeting trans rights, anywhere from providing gender-affirming care for minors. Mm-hmm. Like in Texas, for example, the governor has charged the state with investigating any parent that provides gender-affirming care for their kids, such as even puberty blockers or psychological care, and to charge them with child abuse. Jesus Christ. Psychological care? So like if they put them on antidepressants because they have body dysmorphia. Counseling and stuff like that. <sighs> A couple of federal judges stopped that, but there's bills like that in over half the states here in the U.S. And here in Utah, there was a couple bills that came up and one got shut down in committee, which was kind of along the same lines as that one in Texas. But the one that actually went through committee was having to do with banning all trans kids from playing in high school and junior high sports, Wow! specifically girl sports. When it first came to the legislature, it was like these kids would have to undergo examination by a board to see if they fit certain criteria of normal, Mm. in quotes, female hormone levels, stuff like that. And then at the very last minute, slammed through a bill that basically said trans girls cannot participates in scholastic sports at all. And our governor, who is Republican, and I don't particularly like him, but on the LGBTQ issues, he has actually been really good. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said even before the bill came up that if it came to his desk, he was going to veto it. So they shoved it through and he vetoed it. And the legislature decided they were going to call together a special session to override his veto. The Utah Pride Center put together a demonstration to show support for our trans kids and the trans community and to demonstrate to the legislature that we did not want them to pass this bill. No. The whole family went and it was well over a thousand people there. It was really great. There were a lot of affirming messages and saying no matter what the legislature does, we are going to fight this and that you are not alone. And the next day they overrode the veto. So there was an overriding and then there was another overriding. Yeah, basically. How do you override a governor's veto? Is that even possible? Yeah, you have to have a two-thirds majority Uh, in the legislature. And they had it. They had the votes. Most people recognize that what the Utah legislature did was political theater because this doesn't have a chance of surviving the lawsuits that are going to happen. Wow. And this doesn't have a real chance of even making it into law. Mm -hmm. We have the primaries coming up. This is basically our local legislature wanting to show that they were true conservatives and we're going to stick it to those dirty liberals. (laughs) There were two of them who voted no when the bill came up and there was another one, I think, who actually swapped his vote from yes to no. He made a speech saying we're trying to protect girls and women's sports, but we are hurting girls and women and we are hurting some of the most vulnerable among us. Yeah. I don't care if I don't get reelected. This is wrong and I cannot support it. And, you know, they just rode right over. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's interesting when it comes to the issue of sports and trans people playing sports, of course they should be allowed to play sports if they want to, but there is some sort of something that has to be addressed about physical 
physical ability comparisons. And it's got nothing to do with gender because you can get biological women, for instance, at the extreme end of physical strength, which would way outclass their peers that are also biological women. So I think that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, one of the speakers brought that up at the rally this weekend. They were like, dividing sports by gender is the dumbest thing ever because there's so much variety within it. Yeah. We have to come up with a better way to classify it. For example, in wrestling, you know, you're classified by your weight class. There are other ways of doing it. There are smarter ways of doing it. Perfect example, Jones. Doing it by the tackle you have between your legs is idiotic. Absolutely. I don't know what kind of sports you're playing where that matters, but you shouldn't have kids playing it in the first place if that is a vital part of whatever sport they're playing. That's right. If they want to know what's in your pants, that's too much information. Yeah. All they need to know is your physical capability exactly. and bring into a class mm-hmm. where you're competing with people that are up to your ability. I think it was on Facebook. Like there was a picture of a woman in the pool and she was saying, yeah, because she had won and somebody commented under like, look how muscular, that's a man right there. You can't tell me there's not obvious difference. And then somebody else commented, dude, that's a cisgendered woman. <laughs> that's a cisgendered woman that has been competing as a woman her entire life. So you're a dumbass. <laughs> so. See, that cisgender woman that is big and muscular. Oh man, she was cut. She was fucking cut. But she needs to compete with other people that are her size too. Mm -hmm. If she's only competing against tiny biological women, she must feel really disappointed every time she gets easy wins. Right, yeah. Especially if she's got, you know, like a six foot three wingspan, she could just fucking churn right through the water. That's right. What's the point in easy wins? There's no point. Nothing worth having is easy, Jones. Nope. That's why people do sport because it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea of transitioning so that you get easy wins is so stupid because it's antithetical to the whole idea of sport. Thank you so much for sharing all about what's happening there politically and having a little chat about it and do keep us updated. It's all very interesting. Yeah, no worries. All right. Well, today we have the first half of a very long chapter, chapter five of Jacob. 77 verses. It's a whole parable. A long-winded parable. I no. He basically took one of Jesus' parables and then tweaked it a bit, I think. Yeah. Growing up Mormon, we knew about this parable. <laughs> and we thought, much like any of the other parables, it was something that was reflected in the Bible. Right. Come to find out, none of this shit's in the Bible. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> like there's parallels to some of the parables of Jesus, but <sighs> this is one that Joseph Smith kind of used his creative license to oh, dear. go to town on it. Yeah. Is there a preamble to chapter five? Do you want to read that? There is a preamble. Let's do it. All right. Chapter five. Jacob quotes Zenus relative to the allegory of the tame and wild olive trees. They are a likeness of Israel and the Gentiles. The scattering and gathering of Israel are prefigured. Prefigured. That's the word. And I actually oh. read it right this time. I didn't pull another fortification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it when you read things creatively. No, that's the word. Prefigured. Prefigured. So I don't know what the fuck that means. I think maybe it means like a pre type of Christ or something that they always go on with in Christianity. It's a type of Christ. It's a type of Christ. Sure, something like that. Maybe. Allusions are made to the Nephites and Lamanites and all the house of Israel. The Gentiles will be grafted into Israel. Eventually, the vineyard will be burned. 
about 544 to 421 BC. Ah, and he mentions Xenos here again, which they have no records of. Mm-hmm. Smitty didn't even bother trying to come up with records. There's a Xenos and a Xenic in the Book of Mormon. If you take off that first letter, that's Enos and Enoch, who actually are biblical prophets. It seems Joseph Smith had a thing for the letter Z because <laughs> there's a city here in the Book of Mormon called Zarahemla. Zarahemla. <laughs> That's the name of the city. We will get there in a few books. Oh. One day when Joseph and some men were out, I think it was during the Mormon March when they put together an army and were going down to Mexico for some reason. I don't remember what it was. Anyways, <laughs> they found a skeleton and Joseph Smith said it was Zelf. Of course it was. A white Lamanite. A white Lamanite? Mm-hmm. But his name was Zelf. I thought they were supposed to turn black. Well, okay, but he apparently had been so righteous that his skin was made white and delights. Right. Oh my God. That's so silly. So anyways, this is just one of those Z names. Ah. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in the 1950s, there's mention of a ancient prophet known as the teacher of righteousness who was driven out of Jewish society because he preached of the coming Messiah. They say that his name was apparently Zadok and apologists are saying, well, that may have been a transcribed or altered version of the Book of Mormon name, Zenoch. So it's like four layers removed. There was Zenos and then Zenoch and then Zenoch. So anyways, there's no real good answer for who the fuck this Zenos guy is. The thing is, Zadok was in the Bible. If it was really Zadok Smitty was referring to, why wouldn't he just call him Zadok? He was a priest referenced in the actual Old Testament. He may not have had any works attributed to him, but he was mentioned. He's known. Was he? Yeah. Okay. He's a known person. See, I'm a Mormon. I don't know the Bible hardly at all, so I'll take your word for it. So why didn't Smitty just use his fucking name if that's it? He was finally trying to introduce some new characters. That's right. To get some IP intellectual property that he could copyright. The Book of Mormon family. Get them all. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Get every priest. Get every prophet. Pay only $14.99. And you could talk to them on your Moroni's Ouija board now that they're dead. There you go. (laughs) Shout out to Luke. Be on our pod. Please. (laughs) Verse one. Behold, my brethren, do ye not remember to have read the words of the prophet Zenos, which he spake unto the house of Israel, saying, Hearken, O ye house of Israel, and hear the words of me. Hear the words of me. (laughs) Hear the words of me. Yeah. Who says that? Apparently, Zenos says, (laughs) And hear the words of me, a prophet of the Lord. For behold, thus saith the Lord, I will liken thee, O house of Israel, like unto a tame olive tree, which a man took and nourished in his vineyard, and it grew and waxed old and began to decay. A tame olive tree? Yeah. You wouldn't want those untame olive trees, James. No. They might break into your house and kill you. That's right. Or they'll, you know, run off with your daughters. Yeah, lock up your daughters. The olive trees are coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what is the difference between a tame olive tree and a wild olive tree? That's what I want. Ah, I have no idea. That doesn't make any sense. Mm, All right, verse four. And it came to pass... 
that the master of the vineyard went forth and he saw that this olive tree began to decay. Yes, he just said in the previous verse that it was decaying. And he said, I will prune it and dig about it and nourish it that perhaps it may shoot forth young and tender branches and perish not. So I guess he's trying to say, oh, I'll rediscipline it. He's trying to save it. So apparently the difference between a wild and a tame olive tree is basically one's domesticated, like the difference between wild grains and cultivated grains. Is it like the difference between spelt and wheat or something? Yeah, basically like this is the one that has been genetically modified. Ah. The old school version of genetic modification, which is just to cross-pollinate the ones that you want to keep the attributes of versus just a wild olive tree as olives are on their own without human intervention. So here we see the Mormon dogma of genetic modification. They're a huge fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Get your genes modified. Genes modified and also your body. Here in the United States, you know which state has the highest per capita of women that get breast implants? Oh, it's got to be Utah, James. It is Utah. (laughs) It is Utah. Got to attract those horny Mormon boys. Well, it's like either a graduation present from high school so that they can attract those young horny Mormons coming home or the women that are finally done having all their kids and want to have their young perky boobs back. They probably feel ripped off because they gave all of their life to having kids and then when they get to their 40s, they realize, you know what? This is all horse shit and I gave my body away on a silly lie. Yeah, but don't get a tattoo. You can get rhinoplasty, you can get plastic surgery, microblading on your eyebrows, but don't get a tattoo. Oh, okay. Don't get a tattoo. And don't get more than one piercing per ear if you're a girl. Really? Yeah. Or zero piercings per ear if you're a male. Oh. Yep. I bet within 20 years that dogma will shift. It appears to be shifting now. (laughs) Not because of the old men. They're certainly not sharing it, but people of my baby sister's generation, she has gotten two tattoos in the last year and she's gotten helix piercings. So at first I'm like, holy cow, my sister is drifting away from the church. Oh, we can only hope. Turns out she's not. She's like, no, I still believe. I'm like, what the fuck? If my generation did that, you were immediately out. Like what you're doing is bad, but there's some shift happening. It's a desperate attempt to keep numbers, isn't it, at this point? Well, again... (laughs) It doesn't seem to be coming from the top. It seems to be coming from the younger membership who are saying, this is the culture I grew up in. And so I want to stay because it means something to me. But all of these stupid, dumb rules don't fit my personal beliefs. The younger generations are way, way just astronomically far ahead of the older generations as far as attitudes towards LGBTQ issues, towards attitudes about things like socialized medicine. Sure, yeah. Programs for the disabled, programs for the homeless, mental health, stuff like that. So sometimes a lot of people think that that's just the last stop before you leave the church. (laughs) (laughs) But it's possible if there becomes a critical mass of enough young people who are like, oh, if you keep trying to make us do this stupid old shit, we're leaving. And the church is like, ah! So it'll be an interesting next couple of decades, I suspect. Some of the arguments against 
socialized medicine and old age pensions and so forth are from churches who say we should have that responsibility we should be looking after the poor we should be looking after the needy but here's the funny thing with mormons they don't fucking do it they don't they hold on to their cash <laughs> the church has upwards of 130 150 billion dollars yeah. just sitting in the stock market we have a huge homeless problem here in utah you've mentioned that before tell me more about that we are at the crossroads roads of two major freeway systems, east, west, north, south here in Salt Lake City. So a lot of homeless and indigent people come through here. We used to have mental health hospitals and stuff like that back in the 80s. And Reagan shut them all down. All the state-run hospitals, which don't make the mistake of thinking they were perfect. I'm sure they weren't in the 80s. They were a goddamn mess. I bet they were. But they were something. Like Gigi was mentioning, if you are in financial need and you go to the church and say, I need help. I can't afford rent. The church, which has billions of dollars sitting around, tells you, have you asked your family for help? Have you applied for government programs? So these churches that are saying, oh, it should be our job, but they're not doing it. Yeah. And I see both sides of the story. Like, I'm not a huge fan of socialism at all. But by the same time, I'm not a huge fan of people falling through the cracks. Somebody's got to pay for it somehow. How do we do that? How do we keep everyone happy? It's crunchy. <laughs> yeah, it's very crunchy. There's no way to keep everybody happy, but... Got to try, though. Yes, exactly. You've got to try. <laughs> I think I've talked about this before. As human creatures, we tend to be very selfish because that was an evolutionary, advantageous trait that... <laughs> kept our species alive, but we have culturally evolved to the point that we are capable of looking beyond that and we should strive to do so. That's right. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's a mess. You know, and we've only gotten three verses in this fucking chapter. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, all right. <laughs> and dig about it and nourish it that perhaps it may shoot forth young and tender branches and it perish not. Justice Smith was big into those young and tender branches. Uh, Gross. Oh, Gross. Smitty. If Jesus was telling this story, he would have said it a lot shorter too. Because parables didn't take up a whole 77 verses. Exactly. You're growing up, we were taught that Jesus used parables to simplify a concept. And yeah, you're right. They're all short. A few verses. And there you go. <laughs> this is long as, and I have not read through it all the way, but I guarantee you, he probably repeats himself 74 times in here. Well, we can do one ding for repeating himself because he's already said about the decay. Yeah, he's used decay twice. Verse 5, and it came to pass that he pruned it and digged about it. He said the digged again and nourished it according to his word. And it came to pass that he pruned it. Hang on, I got confused. Well, uh, that's because it starts the first one, two, three, four, five, six words are the same as in the verse before it and in the verse after it, actually. And it came to pass. Yep. In four, oh in five, God. in six, and in seven. It's so confusing. Uh-huh. I bet Mormons lose their place when reading the Book of Mormon all the time because oh, every yeah. verse is the same. Yep. And it came to pass that after many days it began to put forth somewhat a little young 
and tender branches. That's a weird semi-sentence. But behold, the main top thereof began to perish. Very smooth, Joseph. (laughs) And it came to pass that the master of the vineyard saw it, and he said unto his servant, It grieveth me that I should lose this tree. Wherefore, go and pluck the branches from a wild olive tree, and bring them hither unto me, and we will pluck off those main branches, which are beginning to wither away, and we will cast them into the fire, that they may be burned. And behold, saith the Lord of the vineyard, I take away many of these young and tender branches and will graft them wheresoever I will. I know you will, Smitty. (laughs) And it mattered not that if it so be that the root of this tree will perish, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Wherefore, I will take these young and tender branches and will graft them whithersoever I will. (sighs) Take thou the branches of the wild olive tree and graft them in the stead thereof, and these which I have plucked off, I will cast into the fire and burn them, that they may not cumber the ground of He's my vineyard. Said that. Yes. In verse seven, and then in verse nine, he says he's going to cast them and burn them. Except in verse seven, he's thinking to himself, and then in verse nine, he's saying to his servant, "Yeah." <sighs> <laughs> Why does he have to keep? We get the I don't idea. Know. I don't know. You just should have done stars, stars up. Yep. And it came to pass that the servant of the Lord of the vineyard did according to the word of the Lord of the vineyard and grafted in the branches of the wild olive tree. <sighs> and the Lord of the vineyard caused that it should be digged about and pruned and nourished, saying unto his servant, It grieveth me that I should lose this tree. (laughs) Wherefore, that perhaps I might preserve the roots thereof, that they perish not, that I might preserve them unto myself. I have done this thing. Oh, God, this writing, this is just really, really poor. I I can't, Jones. In verse 8, he said, it doesn't matter if this thing dies. And then in verse 10, he's like, oh, God's going to (laughs) die. Fucking make up your mind, Lord of the vineyard. Verse 11, he's like, it grieves with me that I should lose this tree. But verse 10, he was like, hey, fuck this tree. I don't give a shit about this tree. I got the branches. Jesus. All right, verse 12, you're okay. Wherefore, go thy way, watch the tree, and nourish it according to my words. And these will I place in the nethermost part of my asshole. No, in the (laughs) nethermost part of my vineyard. Whithersoever I will, it mattereth not unto thee. And I do it that I may preserve unto myself the natural branches of the tree. And also that I may lay up fruit thereof against the season unto myself. For it grieveth me that I should lose this tree and the fruit thereof. Hang on. Not only is he going to graft on these branches, he's going to move the entire tree to the nethermost part of his vineyard? No, the young branches that popped up after he did the first round of nurturing. He's going to go graft them somewhere else. He's not going to tell his servant where he's going to graft them. It's none of the servant's business, he says so explicitly, but he is going to hide them away. This is an allegory for the lost 10 tribes of Israel that we don't know where they went. Right. We do know where they went. They just reintegrated into the southern kingdom, but whatever. And it came to pass, the Lord of the vineyard went his way and hid the natural branches of the same olive tree in the nethermost parts of the vineyard, some in one and some in another, according to his will and 
pleasure. Back to hiding it in the nethermost part of his ass, I guess. I don't know. That's right. He stuck it up his ass. But what I'm confused about there is if he's taken some of the healthy branches off this tame olive tree, what's left? I mean, he's chopped off its top and put on wild shit. And now he's taken some of the natural branches that were healthy. What's left of the original tree? Well, the root system is left and the oh, trunk is left. And it's a good trunk and good root system, isn't it, James? Right. It's the base. The foundation is still oh, good. So you can just take off all the branches. It doesn't matter at all. No. I mean, build it upon a good foundation. Well, a good foundation, I guess, is the tree. But at the beginning, he said the roots are dying. This whole thing is a piece of shit. So why are we preserving this in any way, shape, form, manner? It used to be good. So therefore, we're going to throw all this time and money and effort into hopefully maybe it'll be good again. He's just basically Frankensteining the fuck out of the tree. The near as I can tell. Uh, and it came to pass that a long time passed away and the tree died. No, I'm joking. And everything went straight to hell and that's the end of the story and we don't have to read another fucking 57 verses. That's right. Behold, Smitty Frankenstein the tree too much and it died. <laughs> he should get better at horticulturalism. No wonder his farms kept failing. That's right. He had to turn to a life of fraud because he couldn't do anything else. To be fair, his dad was the farmer, but his dad also did turn to the life of conning people. Oh, did he really? Yeah, his father introduced his son into treasure digging. Ah. Stone peeping and bullshit like that. I think we're going to hit that soon in the Saints podcast that we've been reviewing. Yeah. Because he says they're going to take head on all of the hard issues of Joseph Smith's family. You know, are they swindlers? Are they this? Are they that? They are going to take the issues head on and swerve around them. That's what Gigi was saying. <laughs> yeah, it's all a bunch of apologetics. <laughs> if you're listening and you'd like to tune into some of that hilarity, sign up at our Patreon. It's bloody cheap. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and it came to pass that a long time passed away. That's right. And I said the tree died, but it didn't really. No, yeah, so you got halfway through that verse. Okay. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Come, come all over my face. <laughs> come, let us go down into the vineyard that we may labor in the vineyard. Oh, I'm sure the servant was real pleased about that. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and also the servant went down into the vineyard to labor. Fancy that. He just said, let us go down. And then in the next sentence, he says, and they went down using almost the same amount of words. I have to do an aside. In the temple ceremony that you go through, in the endowment center, it's a retelling of the creation of the earth. And God gives instructions to Jesus to go down and create the animals or separate day into night or to separate the land from the water. I don't remember the words because I slept through most of the times I was there at the temple. Good boy. So Elohim says, go take Adam and go down and do this stuff. Then Jesus repeats to Adam exactly what Elohim said to Jehovah, oh. word for word. And some of this is like 30 seconds of instruction. So you have to sit through an extra 30 seconds of Jesus repeating the exact goddamn thing that God said to him. Oh, oh, like, no. like, you think this is tedious? This is what the temple is exactly. It's just tedious, bullshit, word salad. <laughs> now, who do we have to blame for most of these temple rituals? Is it Brigham or is it Joseph? Joseph. <laughs> Joseph is the one who took the Freemason symbols tokens, etc., and slapped the Mormon story onto them. <laughs> that was done in Nauvoo. 
if I understand correctly, it was mostly kept the same throughout the early Utah period. And there have been changes over the last 150 years. The basic (laughs) structure is what Joseph Smith Frankenstein out of the Freemason tokens and signs and penalties, etc., and put together with his Bible fanfic that he <laughs> I would love to know just how much the temple ceremonies have evolved over the years. As I understand, it was written down fairly early. Okay. And you can actually find a website that goes through all the changes that have been made. From the original ceremony all the way through the changes, even the changes that they made back in 2018. Oh, what changes? Did they do that? Uh, well, women no longer have to veil their faces <gasps> when they stand in the prayer circle. Oh, really? And the women no longer have to covenant with their husbands as their husbands covenant with the Lord. So the husbands covenant with God and pre-2018, the women covenanted with their husbands. They would obey their husbands as their husbands obeyed the Lord. Now the women also covenant with the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And I think Gigi and I were talking about this last week. The only way that women get into heaven still is their husband draws them through the veil. Yeah, tell me about that veil thing. What is that? It's a curtain. An actual physical curtain in the temple. Yes, there's a physical curtain in the temple. It's supposed to represent the veil between this life and the celestial kingdom. There's a veil? I guess. That's how they describe it. I guess. (laughs) When you go to the veil, the Lord is on the other side and you have to present the signs and tokens that you have been given in the temple, which is the handshakes and the names and the hold your hand up like this and this and this and this and this. And walk like a reformed Egyptian. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Walk like a reformed Egyptian. There are symbols on the garments that Mormons wear. On one side, there's the sign of a square. Like a set square. Yeah. To make sure a corner is 90 degrees. Then on the other breast, there is a upward facing triangle, like a V that represents the compass. Right. And then there is a line over the belly. Maybe it represents you have to slit your bowels if you talk about what's in the temple. I don't remember. Anyways, (laughs) those used to be sewn on. Like scalp patches. Well, basically. I mean... They were just stitching in the shape of a square and a compass. But nowadays, they actually silk screen them on. Wow. Just like your t-shirt. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this happened just in the last few years. Anyways, back to the veil. So those <laughs> symbols are on the veil, but they are holes in the veil that you reach your hand through and the Lord reaches his hand through so you can do the secret handshakes. Oh. There's another point in the same ceremony where the Lord puts his hand on your shoulder. I think you put your hand on his shoulder as well. So you're reaching through the veil, through these holes. Anyways. Is this like a Mormon glory hole? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) I mean, especially the one at belly height, it definitely could be used by that. But keep in mind that all the dudes on the other side of the veil are old, ancient, wrinkly white guys. So nobody wants to be sticking anything like that to them. (laughs) So what I was talking about is before you are sealed together in the temple, as man and wife for time and eternity, (laughs) the husband has to go and do the Lord's part of that ceremony on the other side of the veil. And the woman does the supplicant's side of it, but she's doing it to her husband because her husband is the stand-in for the Lord. This is still the way it is, as I understand. The only way that a woman can get into heaven is through her husband. She has to have a husband she is sealed to for time and all eternity or she's not getting into heaven. But a very specific part of the marriage ceremony is the man standing 
standing in for God, drawing the wife through. We almost forgot to do that before my wife and I got married. They were like, oh my gosh, wait, no, 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 you can't do that. We have to go. And we're like, oh, okay. But so that is the vital part. I wonder how often they make mistakes. They're old farts. I bet it happens all the fucking time. <laughs> Did you hear about that Catholic priest here in the United States who like fucked up one word on the mm-hmm. baptism and there was like 20 years of baptisms or like, oh, fuck, oh, those don't count anymore. <laughs> oh, well, they've all left the church anyway. It's all good. Probably. <laughs> and they wouldn't have left the church if he had just not said we instead of me or he said yeah. me instead of the whatever. It was something totally meaningless for the point of the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. Jesus Christ, we are never going to get this. Chapter. That's all right. Yeah, fuck the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, for example, we do a weekly sacrament with bread and water. If you don't say the prayer exactly right, you have to repeat it. Right. You start saying the prayer when you're a 16-year-old boy because girls don't do it because they don't have the priesthood. Right, yeah. What you have to do is you say the prayer and then you look over the bishop and he either nods or shakes his head. Oh, no. So if he nods, you said it right. Now you can't pass out the sacrament. If he shakes his head, you fucked up. And one of the most embarrassing things as a 16-year-old priest is to have the bishop shake his head. I have seen these poor sons of bitches have to do it like six fucking times in a row. And it's not like it's a short prayer either. It's like 30, 45 seconds of prayer. Wow. Do they memorize it or are they allowed to read it? No, it's on a placard. You pull out this little tray that's underneath the sacrament table. There's a little placard that's on that tray and a microphone that activates when you pull out the tray. It's all automatic. (laughs) I better keep reading this whole shit. And it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, Behold, look here. Behold the tree. No one would ever say that. Of course not. (laughs) 17. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard looked and beheld the tree because he had nothing better to do at his time in the which the wild olive branches had been grafted and it had sprung forth and begun to bear fruit. And he beheld that it was good and the fruit thereof was like unto the natural fruit. All right, y'all go, verse 18. And he said unto his servant, Behold, the branches of the wild tree have taken hold of the moisture of the root thereof, that the root thereof hath brought forth much strength. And because of the much strength of the root thereof, the wild branches have brought forth tame fruit. Tame fruit. (laughs) Now, if we had not grafted in these branches, the tree thereof would have perished. And now behold, I shall lay up much fruit, which the tree thereof hath brought forth. And the fruit thereof I shall lay up against the season unto my own self. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, Come, let us go to the nethermost part of the vineyard, and behold, if the natural branches of the tree have not brought forth much fruit also, that I may lay up of the fruit thereof against the season unto my own self. Hang on, I'm a bit lost here. What does he mean by lay up much fruit against the season? Food storage. He's going to have a bountiful harvest. So he's had a bountiful harvest because of his nice graftings. Mm -hmm. Great. And he's going to take the fruit and he's going to store the fruit and he's going to lay it up so he's going to store it. So it's just like Mormon food storage. And then in the next verse, he says... 
Behold, if the natural branches of the tree have not brought forth much fruit also. Basically, he's saying, let's see if they have brought forth. They have not also brought forth much fruit. So he's saying, hey, let's check those ones out and see if they've also had a bountiful harvest. And we'll stick that in the fridge as well. Yeah. That's silly. That's to the... Okay, verse 20, James, go for it. And it came to pass that they went forth, whither the master had hid the natural branches of the tree. And he said unto the servant, behold these. And he beheld the first that it had brought forth much fruit. And he beheld also that it was good. And he said unto the servant, take the fruit thereof and lay it up against the season that I may preserve it unto my own self. For behold, said he, this long time have I nourished it and it hath brought forth much fruit. He's actually chopped off branches from various natural trees, right? And popped them all around the place, hasn't he? He's pruning branches from the original tree that he both doesn't give a fuck if it dies and also is really sad if it dies. He's taken those branches and he's grafted them onto other trees around the vineyard. Again, it's alluding to the Lost Ten Tribes and how they've been scattered. At this first tree, they've thrived and the bounty, which is good and righteous souls, were produced from this grafting of the tree. This grafting being the Nephites. Now, just bear with me here with the logic, I hope. No problem. Because... The tree, we chopped off its top, right? And we put some wild ones on it because the top was bad. And then Mm -hmm. it had some natural branches that looked all right. And it's like, "Mm, you know what? I'm going to take some of those and put them elsewhere and hide them around the vineyard, right? So he actually grafted those onto other trees, right? How is there anything left of the original? There's just the roots left. And how would he remember what the natural... Ah, just so silly. Patience, patience. You are making a classic mistake. You're trying to logically look (laughs) at this bullshit. And that is bad. Don't do that. You'll just hurt yourself. When he was grafting the natural healthy branches onto another tree, did he remove an unhealthy branch to where he grafted it onto those other trees? He doesn't say about anything he did there. That's the Lord's mysterious. Well, you don't need to know about that. You don't don't think about that. Don't. You gloss over it in Mormon style. Right, yeah. We'll find out about it in the afterlife. Opa, Mormon style. Although, honestly, okay, <laughs> if the wild branches took the moisture, as he said, from the original tree and put out natural fruit. Why didn't the reverse happen with the natural branches that he grafted onto other trees? Why didn't it put out fruit like that tree? Right. Of course, maybe these were good trees, but yeah, don't think about it. You'll just have a brain aneurysm. Right, because the wild healthy branches would produce fruit like the wild trees, right? Theoretically, I don't know. I mean, you would think the cell structure and the bud structure from the branch would Mm. dictate what kind. It's not like there was DNA transfer. No. I'm not a horticulturist. I don't know if this shit makes any sense or not. I'm just going to assume it makes no goddamn sense whatsoever (laughs) and I'll probably be right. Verse 21, and it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, how comest thou hither to plant this tree or this branch of the tree? For behold, it was the poorest spot in all the land of thy vineyard. So he's like, why are you planting this tree into a shitty place? This is a shit spot. Yeah. It gets too much sun. There's no water here. What the fuck? This comes back to where I was saying, did he actually transplant the tree? Because it sounds like what he's saying here is that he did. Well, no, Joseph fucked up because he said... (laughs) How comest thou hither to plant this tree um, or, uh, or this branch of the tree? So 
<laughs> that poor scribe chiseling out the gold plate. Oh, fuck. Well, I can't cast another plate, so uh, I meant that. <laughs> ching, 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 ching. Ching, ching, ching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto him, counsel me not. Don't tell me what to do. Exactly. He said, watch your goddamn mouth, you little fucker. I knew that it was a poor spot of ground. Wherefore, I said unto thee, I have nourished it this long time. Oh, he nourished it long time. And thou beholdest that it hath brought forth much fruit. It's like that line from uh, Apocalypse Now. Sucky, sucky, I nourish you long, long time. <laughs> exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that Joseph liked a bit of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think about that. <laughs> from various branches. Yes. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Look hither. Behold, I have planted another branch of the tree. Also, and thou knowest that this spot of ground was poorer than the first. But behold the tree. Full stop. That's a sentence. But comma. Behold the tree. Full stop. Sure. So he'll go through three verses without having a period, but now he's got a fucking four-word sentence. But behold the tree. Love it. I have nourished it this long time. That's right. God pulled out his tit and just said, oh, tree, dear God. latch on, buddy. Suckle my breastuses. <laughs> That's it. And it hath brought forth much fruit. Therefore, gather it and lay it up against the season that I may preserve it unto mine own self. He's preserving an awful lot of jam for himself. He must love jam. Olive jam? No, that can't be right. Yeah, no, yeah, gross. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm a big fan of olives. I love olives. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But olive jam? No. Oh, God, Christ, no. <laughs> that would be horrible. Olives are great. Olives are so meaty too, aren't they? Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I love it. My children, I love them dearly, uh, but they take after their mother <laughs> and the only olives they will eat are black olives, which I find to be the most boring, unadventurous <laughs> olives in the world. All right, so we're up to verse 24, which is you again, Jones. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said again unto his servant, Look hither, and behold another branch also, which I have planted. Behold, that I have nourished it also, and it hath brought forth fruit. And he said unto his servant, Look hither, and behold the last. Behold, this have I planted in a good spot of ground, and I have nourished it this long time. And only a part of the tree hath brought forth tame fruit, and the other part of the tree hath brought forth wild fruit. <laughs> behold, I have nourished this tree like unto the others. Oh, that's great, God. Yeah, wonderful. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, pluck off the branches that have not brought forth good fruit and cast them into the fire. Verse 25, if I remember correctly, that is alluding to the Nephites and the Lamanites. Oh, yes. Well, the good spot of ground is the promised land, which is America, because all the rest of y'all suck donkey dick. (laughs) And part of them brought forth the tame fruit, the Nephites. And the (laughs) other part have brought forth the wild fruit, the Lamanites. But behold, the servant said unto him, let us prune it and dig about it and nourish it a little longer. Stay just a little bit longer that perhaps it may bring forth good fruit unto thee, that thou canst lay it up against the season. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and the servant of the Lord of the vineyard did nourish all the fruit of the vineyard. And after they did that, 
They even got a room for themselves because they were just oh, no. so into it. Nah, these were good old boys. There was an after party. They just went up into the hayloft and <laughs> did their thing. They don't need a room for that. And it came to pass that a long time had passed away. Oh, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Come, my servant, come, come, my servant. Let us go down into the vineyard that we may labor again in the vineyard. For behold, the time draweth near and the end soon cometh. Wherefore, I must lay up fruit against the season unto mine own self. Why did he have to make that second phrase, and the end soon cometh? He could just say, for the time draweth near, wherefore I must lay up fruit against the season. That means the same thing. I mean, yeah, but keep in mind that Mormonism is an apocalyptic cult. Right. Sex cult. Rocky Mountain Mormon sex cult, yes. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't come up with that. Somebody else did. Uh, but it's on a t-shirt. I want to get it. They have to repeatedly and explicitly say, the end is coming. Yeah. The end is coming. The end is coming. So he had to throw that in there. I think. Of course. So verse 30, you're gay. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and the servant went down into the vineyard and they came to the tree whose natural branches had been broken off and the wild branches had been grafted in and behold all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree it was just a fucking mess it was all over the place (laughs) and it came to pass that the lord of the vineyard did taste the fruit every sort according to its number and the lord of the vineyard said behold this long time have we nourished this tree and i have laid up unto myself against the season much fruit how many kinds of olives can you have on a fucking tree? Yeah, I mean, well, I would figure that they'd have to be genetically close enough to work, so it can't be that much different. No. I don't know. I'm not a horticulturist, and I don't know what the fuck's going on here. So fuck it. Fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck, 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 fuck. All right. But behold, this time it hath brought forth much fruit, and there is none of it which is good. And behold, there are all kinds of bad fruit, and it profiteth me nothing, notwithstanding all of our labor. And now it grieveth me that I should lose this tree. He's got to lose a tree, Jones. Oh my God, they're amputating. This is the original tree that he didn't care about losing and then cared about losing, and now he's back to caring about losing. But it's too late. The tree's fucked. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, what shall we do unto the tree? I don't know. You've been fucking it pretty good by chopping off all its branches. I guess you just keep doing that and burn the fucker, won't you, God? Is that how he was nursing it? He was fucking it? Uh, well, probably, yes. There's a lot of protein in semen. <laughs> Some people <laughs> add dead fish to the soil right, like the yeah. Aboriginal tribes did here in the Americas and showed oh. the pilgrims and other ones uh, jacked off in the tree. It's God's secret spice for the olives. Ew. <laughs> Damn it. You're going to ruin olives for me, patient. Cut it out. Secret fertilizer. The Lord's special sauce. And of course, because it's Mormonism, the special sauce is seed. Always. It's always seed. It's seed. It's always seed. What shall we do unto the tree that I may preserve again good fruit thereof unto mine own self? Well, I guess you'll marry it, Smitty. And the servant said unto his master, Behold, because thou didst graft in the branches of the wild olive tree, they have nourished the roots that they... That's not how it works. No, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) How do the branches nourish the roots? Anyway, that they are alive and they have not perished. Wherefore, thou beholdest that they are yet 
good. Oh, that is a weird sentence. The branches have leaves. The leaves take in the sun. The sun, okay. I mean, I guess, sort of, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, what he's saying here is that because you grafted in those wild branches, they kept the roots alive and they're still strong. Mm. That's what the servant's saying. Verse 35, and it came to pass that famous phrase that the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, the tree profiteth me nothing, and the roots thereof profiteth, sorry, profit. He didn't use the if. You just pulled a Jones right there and added fucking extra letters. <laughs> oh dear. And the roots thereof profit me nothing so long as it shall bring forth evil fruit. But I thought it was starting to bring forth good fruit. No. Oh no, it just kept them alive. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. All the fruit is shit on this tree. Right. But this is the first time he's calling it evil fruit. Jesus, dude. Okay, it's not tasty, but evil? And I thought it just produced fruit that was varied. Like, didn't he taste every kind of it? Well, he tasted it and he said it's all kinds of bad fruit. Oh, it does say that. There are all kinds of bad fruit. Wow. Gee, God. You know what? That's body shaming right there. Yeah, you're shaming the olives. <laughs> He's obviously not a fan of olives. Ah, these olives taste like ass. Nevertheless, I know that the roots are good, and for mine own purpose, I have preserved them. And because of their much strength, they have hitherto brought forth from the wild branches good fruit. What? Hitherto, up to this point, the fruit's been good, but now the fruit's shit. Ah, that sentence just mm. further made it. He's just waffling. He's waffling. That is so unusual for Joseph to do. <laughs> is that a logical spot to stop, though? I mean, is there a logical spot to stop? We can finish off the rest with Benjamin next week. Sounds good. All right. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Mm-hmm. And I am looking forward to talking to you again in a couple of days for the bonus. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if we can make that happen. 